Welcome to Solutions Cast, a CFC podcast that highlights cooperative network projects and leader stories, as well as economic and energy industry insights. I'm your host, Christine Pachenik, and today I'm here with Jeremy Richard, who is the president and CEO of Makokata Valley Electric Cooperative, located in Anamosa, Iowa. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Christine. I'm glad to be here. Also here with me is Joe Walsh, who is NRTC's Vice President of Smart Grid Advisory and Networks. Thanks for joining, Joe. Thanks for having me. Now, NRTC and CFC have recently published a Smart Grid Benchmarking Report. We've also done a previous podcast and hosted a variety of webinars that have been related to this topic, and this is kind of the... I'd say the bookend to that, they've all been on various topics within the smart grid world. And here today, we're talking a little bit about enablers. So we know that cooperatives across the network have not only implemented various smart grid applications, hoping to not only optimize their operations through things like advanced networks, intelligence, automation, and control, but Really, we want to take a look at, before implementing those smart grid applications, there are certain underlying elements that are setting the cooperative up for what would be a successful use of those applications. And at the basis of this, it's what we are calling smart grid enablers, and that's really where we're going to get into this a little bit today. Now, Joe, I wanted to just do a, a brief introduction of you. I know we've worked quite a bit with NRTC on this. And uh, just tell me where you're coming from and uh, what your position is at NRTC. Yeah, I've been with NRTC now for uh, a couple of years. uh, And I have two main roles uh, inside of the uh, the organization. One is uh, really developing out the capability that we can work with our uh, members to help them think through their technology roadmaps. What's what's coming down the pike for the next 10 years and, and how to um, how to start planning for that. Uh, and then the other side of it is, um, you know, one of the enablers that I'm sure we'll start talking about uh, is around connectivity. Uh, NRTC obviously helps our members with fiber and microwave. We believe that, you know, in the future, the utility industry is moving towards standardizing around fiber, microwave, and uh, LTE uh, for communications as the communications enabler. Okay, great. And I think you've hit on probably one of the questions I was going to ask, which was really what's kind of the basic definition of an enabler and what does it encompass? Yes, yes. And and when we start, uh, you know, working with our members on, um, you know, the smart grid technology roadmap, we obviously want to think about what are the applications and the, the use cases they want to uh, uh, put out there. But the, in order to implement them, you have to have uh, enablers. And we think about these in three broad buckets. Uh, one is obviously going to be the the, the, the things, the, the physical devices, assets, endpoints, a recloser, a meter, a truck radio, whatever those things are. You'll also have systems or the integration of the systems that, you know, kind of connect all of those pieces up and help us leverage them. That's the second broad category of enabler. And then the last category uh, we think about are the communications and what are you going to leverage to connect those devices together? And that could be for, you know, for co-ops today, that can be their, uh, an AMI network, a SCADA network, obviously microwave, fiber, you know, whatever, whatever those the communications mechanisms they're using, that's, that's that third uh, enabler bucket. Excellent. Now I want to switch over and introduce Jeremy because what I love about the podcast here is we really try and focus in on our 
cooperative stories. And Jeremy, can you give me an idea of your background and a little bit about your cooperative? And then we'll dive into some of the smart grid applications that you've had success implementing at your cooperative as well. Yeah, sure, Christine. Uh, So I graduated with an electrical engineering degree from Iowa State University, and I got my start at Maquoketa Valley as a summer intern um, back when I was in college. So I started at kind of the bottom of the bottom, but uh, when I graduated, there was a full-time opportunity, and I I worked in the engineering group here at the co-op for 15 years, um, doing a lot of system planning type activities. And then uh, in 2015, 2016, our co-op started a fiber smart grid project. So I jumped over and took a lead role in kind of getting that project up and off the ground um, here locally for us. And then for the last three years, um, I have served as the CEO of Maquoketa Valley REC. Um, so that's a little bit about me. As so far a real, as a success story as far as career growth goes. <laughs> yes, it's kind of becoming more and more uncommon, I guess, these days. But it's, it's been a very rewarding trip so far. So. Um, as far as Maquoketa Valley, so uh, we are located in eastern Iowa. Uh, we serve parts or all of nine counties, over 3,200 miles of electric line. And then we have 74 employees that work to provide electric services to uh, approximately 17,000 electric meters. And then also with our MVLink uh, broadband effort, we provide internet services to right now we're at about 5,500 members. Excellent. Now. Can you tell me what are the smart grid applications that you have currently deployed at your cooperative? Sure, Christine. Uh, Our smart grid journey has gone several different directions over the last 20 years. Um, But some of the applications that we currently have in place would be uh, we've converted all of our engineering applications to electronic platforms. So this provides us a significant amount of data in regards to outages and the physical assets that are out there on our system. Um, We've also converted our mechanical meters to AMI metering, and we are currently on our third generation of AMI. So there's been a lot of change in that area. Uh, We installed our our first SCADA system in 1999, and that gave us the ability to monitor uh, all the activity that was going on within our substations. And then in 2007, uh, we decided we wanted to do more than monitor. So uh, we basically put a upgraded to a, a, another SCADA system that we got a lot of control capability out. So this allowed us to, um, you know, in addition to monitoring, also control what was going on out in the system on, on various pieces of equipment. And then uh, lastly, uh, with our recent venture into fiber, our MVLink Fiber Smart Grid project has opened up, you know, a lot of communication options uh, for communicating with downline equipment that we previously would have not been able to. So those are some of the key key smart grid platforms that we currently have in place. Excellent. Thank you. No, that's perfect. There's so much that we can talk about in terms of applications, but I'm going to bring it back to the enabler side of this. There are really three top enablers that you've utilized at your cooperative, and I think I've, I've outlined them as cooperative leadership, communications, and automation of technology. And I want to dive into each of those a little bit individually. It sounds like, Joe, you had touched on them as kind of some buckets here. So we're going to take a look at how we break this down, because I think there's interesting questions that relate into each of those buckets. As far as cooperative leadership goes, can you tell me 
what helped drive the committed effort by your leadership into these smart grid applications, into that fiber network, especially? Sure. So, I mean, it starts with a, a commitment from both your board and our senior management team. You know, there's an education process that goes into that where, you know, we have to educate ourselves on on a fiber project. You know, it is something that we had been looking at for over 10 years, and uh, we obviously hadn't pulled the trigger for several reasons. But uh, about five years ago, you know, where we were at with our smart grid technologies, where our members were at, and they're, you know, they still had a need for for better internet services in their area. So those things kind of lined up. And as we went through that process, we were very committed to not only educating our senior leadership team, but also our board. So it was about a year long process for us to get, you know, to evaluate and decide we wanted to move forward with a communications project that involved fiber. Um, and several times throughout that year, uh, there was sessions, education sessions with our, our leadership team and our board of directors. And obviously our board um, has been very, uh, they've done a good job of embracing technology in general, smart grid applications, and how they can benefit the membership. And uh, I think that's a big part of it. You know, if you have that leadership and that buy-in at the upper level of your organization, then you can start taking that down and actually implementing projects and, you know, not necessarily worrying about um, not having them not having your back if you create, you know, encounter some some difficult situations along the way. And then as you keep going, obviously, you get buy-in across the employee base as well. So it's kind of a, a multi-step process. That's excellent. And Joe, in terms of your experience, uh, what as far as use cases go, because you also mentioned this earlier, and pilot, pilot projects obviously play a big role into this, how can cooperatives better utilize those to make sure that, uh, as Jeremy has mentioned, that they're you know, doing the purpose that they're meant to do? Yeah. And I think, you know, from our perspective, um, look, whenever you start doing planning, you have to uh, look at the use cases that are valuable for you. You have to understand what the benefits are that you're going to get from them. And you have to look at the cost that it's going to take for you to implement. Uh, and that's going to going to drive a couple of things. One, it's going to drive which use cases and how you prioritize them. From our standpoint, we're looking at things over the course of 10 years. We're going to come up with a lot of things that are going to have value that you can't stack them all on year one. <laughs> you just don't have the resources to do that. But then the other thing is, is you'll see how the use cases relate to each other. And there's often times, and particularly if you start looking at something, hey, I want to start putting in, you know, a, a flizzer scheme for, you know, increasing reliability. And I, I've got to connect up one of, one of my assets, one of my uh, enablers are my reclosers, and I need to have the communications with them. And after you do that, you can say, well, wait a minute, I also want to, uh, you know, do something like uh, voltage optimization and being able to get some of the connectivity back from those reclosers will help you with that scheme. As you see these things, the use cases stack up that helps you plan what enablers are important, what order you have to do them in. And then it also helps you understand if you're missing some components, what direction you're gonna take from those enablers that you're missing. Excellent. And now the second bucket here that we've identified talking about is communications. And that seems like a very broad category to me. Jeremy, can you tell me what were some of the specific communication methods that you implemented? Sure. So um, 
We started with, uh, we've had both licensed and unlicensed radio systems in place at Maquoketa Valley. You know, we found that these worked very well initially. Uh, they met our needs. They got us where we were wanting to go in terms of, you know, our early SCADA efforts and some of our early AMI, our AMI projects. But what we uh, kind of started to see was as technology advanced more and more, there was more data that needed to be brought back. And then as we did that, we encountered some bandwidth issues on how much data we, we could successfully get back to the office. So that was one of our first issues on the communication side. And then another challenge that we encountered was there's a reliability component of why we did a lot of our smart grid applications. And what we found was that during storm situations, when the weather would get bad and it'd get real windy, that seemed to be when our communications systems, our wireless systems were struggling the most. So basically when we needed them most, that was when they were most unreliable and as sometimes not available to us. So that led us to go down the path of, you know, what are some other options? And like I had mentioned, we had looked at fiber for internet purposes to our members for about 10 years. And now we were at a point where on the smart grid side, on the electric side, we wanted to expand our, our smart grid platform beyond the substations. We wanted to have better communication between our substations and we still had this member need for better internet services. So it was kind of like after 15 years of, of smart grid efforts, we took a step back and realized that in order to go forward, we really needed to, to look at the communications and things just kind of came together to where we started our, our fiber smart grid build out. I, I like your explanation of that, the, the need to take the step back. Like you said, you've gone so far, it looks like you pivoted and made some corrections there that allowed you to take the next steps which benefited you even more. Joe, I think Jeremy had a lot of great items listed there. Are there any others out there uh, in terms of communication issues that you're seeing from cooperatives? Yeah, gosh, there's too many to list in 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> and, and look, everybody has a, a, a you know, a, a different scenario. And, you know, but I, I would say one of the big common issues is, and this is industry-wide, where we have a lot of separate networks that we're running and managing. Um, and, um, you know, that creates operational complexities. Um, and I think, you know, going through and, and you know, really kind of getting your prioritized use cases and see where the technology is really helps you kind of drive to what communications technologies you're going to use. I think, uh, you know, cooperatives, you know, like Jeremy's where uh, you're doing fiber to the home and you're getting a great fiber infrastructure, of course, fiber is going to be one of the, you know, the, the critical assets you're going to use there. Um, you know, other co-ops aren't taking that step either. Um, it, it's just, they have great uh, coverage from, uh, you know, maybe a telco co-op in their, their covered their area or other competitors coming in, you know, or quite frankly, it's hard and my hat's off to any co-op that is providing that, um, you know, so they've got to look at other ways of making sure that they're, they're getting out and reaching um, all of those devices. And now looking at this last bucket here, that automation of technology, Jeremy, can you talk about what specific automation that you use that helped make your smart grid planning successful? I know there were a few that things like 
switching between substations and pairing your fiber network with automated switches uh, was potentially a key aspect that obviously automation probably helped you or specifically your your use of data. I mean, data is a huge, that's a huge category that we could definitely talk a lot about and I'd love to dive into. Uh, but those, particularly those two, if you could give us a high level idea. Sure. So uh, in terms of automation, you know, in our early SCADA days, it was all about monitoring what was going on at the substation. You know, we knew what was happening, but that quickly became an issue where we wanted to do more than that. We wanted to not only know what was going on, we wanted to be able to control, you know, some of the equipment. So with our, our early SCADA system, we could control all of the substation equipment. We could control the switches between distribution feeders. Um, now with fiber, we've added a whole nother level of that. We can communicate still to our substations, but now we have the 3,200 miles of distribution line available to us to talk to equipment that is out on, on those facilities. So again, we just have expanded the number of locations on our system that we can collect data. Um, so the data is obviously valuable, but then that ability to control the equipment, you know, we used to be able to switch between subs and that reduced our outage time due to transmission outages by about 88%. So we saw a significant improvement in, in outage time due to that. But now when we go to the next step further and we can talk to breakers that are on the line or eventually there's going to be more sensors out there that we can get information back from, we're going to be able to work with our crews in the field you know, on a real-time basis and better determine where the problem is and then also respond by you know, being able to open or close a breaker that, that is out on the line or put it in one shot so that the crews doesn't have to drive back to the substation to put a breaker in one shot so they can work on it. So there's a lot of reliability improvements, there's safety improvements, and at the end of the day, you know, those are member improvements. So, so that's kind of the automation piece of it. And then the second huge piece is data, you know, and that's um, the data is a result of a lot of this smart grid functionality. Um, so we estimate that we collect over 250 million data points a year, which is an obscene amount of data. Um, but, you know, it's kind of a three-step process. First, you have to collect it, then you got to verify it, and then you got to make it usable. And to us, that was our biggest challenge. Um, and we basically, you know, we treated it as a smart grid project to where we took about a year's worth of time, and we worked on integrating all of our data platforms so that we could get data back and forth between different systems and into the hands of people that, you know, need it to make decisions. And what was, and you talked, you're talking a little bit about this. What was one of the major problems that you had with that collection? And you had a solution to it that I think helped you along. Um, and that was to hire a computer scientist. Uh, is that correct? Correct. We, uh, we quickly realized that engineers are not that talented at programming and uh, doing IT-related activities. So, so we did. We hired a, a computer programmer, um, and now we have a data analytics person on our staff. And you know, basically, we work with them, or they work. They spend their time analyzing the data, you know, on a real time, a daily basis, a monthly basis, an annual basis. Um, but they they are constantly looking at things. We're creating reports. Uh, we estimate that I think right now about 60% of our employee team uses data from some one of our smart grid platforms on a daily basis. So whether that's you know as simple as going to ping a meter or having reports show up in in their inbox, um, we've really put a lot of effort into getting the data 
into the hands of the right people so that they can make decisions based on it and take action. Again, use the data for a benefit to the members. And is that, I was going to say, is that one of the right people or a group is the member group? So, and this is kind of an open question to, to either one of you, whoever wants to take it. How important do you see giving members that data? And what do you see down the line? I mean, I, we heard Jeremy talk about the number of data points that he's seeing in a year. Uh, what do you do with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, if you if you look at this uh, short term, midterm and, and, and long term, um, you know, I think short term, uh, look, there are a lot of uh, cooperatives out there. You know, we, we, we still have to get the fixed downline devices uh, connected up into a SCADA system. Um, you know, before we can even start thinking about any kind of distribution automation, um, there are probably, you know, a lot of cooperatives that are going to find use cases where they have to get their, their meters, uh, you know, updated. Midterm, um, you know, I start seeing an increasing number of sensors and devices on the network. And I'm looking for somebody who's actually done a, a, an honest-to-goodness study on this, but, uh, you know, anecdotally from talks with folks, uh, I'm expecting, you know, five, ten years out, there will be six times the number of devices, excluding meters, that'll be connected. Uh, and, and this will be, um, you know, in addition to all those fixed downline devices, more sensors, transformer sensors that are monitoring the, you know, the oil pressure and temperature, uh, you know, looking at, um, uh, you know, basically uh, an EKG um, so that you can tell when something is going to happen before it happens so that you can proactively uh, perform that pole tilt sensors, uh, additional line sensors. All of these things are, are going to be easier to put out on, onto the, the grid. And then if I can take a second to talk about long term and I'm thinking, you know, this is where we're going to go 10 years out. We're going to start getting more wearables on our line crews. This is probably in the midterm where, hey, I can tell you if one of your line workers is falling off a pole before they touch the ground. And that is you know, super important for worker safety. Uh, you start talking about augmented reality where, hey, integrated into the PPE, I can now not only give them inventory and talk to them about what's what their you know their their work tasks are. I can make that uh, that conductor that um, uh, is energized glow red, um, and you know start really being able to do things. And I know that that's a long term out, but it is coming down the pike, and it is important to think about those things as you're planning out the next ten years. That's definitely exciting stuff, and it's I love talking about it in terms of what that future outlook is, especially from the technology perspective. Uh, it's fascinating what we could potentially be seeing there. Now, I do want to bring it back to the members and something in terms of Jeremy, what your experience has been that your members can relate to in terms of the benefits that you've seen from your smart grid applications to them now. So I, as much as I love talking about the future, there's also this importance of what has been the, the tangible and intangible benefits that you've, you've noticed with your members. Our, our first and most obvious one is in the area of reliability, which I hit on a little bit earlier. But in addition to smart grid um, data and, and technology allowing us to operate the system in an outage situation. We're also collecting data that lets us to, you know, maximize our maintenance efforts and really focus our maintenance dollars. Um, and that's a, that can be a big thing in terms of 
preventing the future outage from happening, you know, spending our dollars wisely, wisely to prevent a future outage. You know, we've seen that our kind of since in the last 15 years, our number of outages has decreased by about 50%. Um, our number of outage time has decreased by about 50% per member. And that's obviously a very huge advantage, advantage to our members. The other thing that I think a benefit to our members and what Joe hit on a little bit earlier is in terms of member engagement getting the data into their hands so that they can see what their projected next bill is so that we can detect high usage before it's 45 late days into the billing cycle. We can tell them on day three instead of day 43. And then also, you know, as we move forward, real-time pricing, load control type information, you know, that's the type of information that our members, as Joe hit on, want to ha want to have access to and they're going to be able to take advantage of it going forward. So I think those are some of the big things for us. No, that's great. And uh, I mean, you're able to directly tie it back to, to exactly what Joe's talking about. One thing I love diving into a little bit is member engagement. And how have you seen that these member benefits possibly increase that engagement and really provide another added value to your cooperative, to the business model that we have as an electric cooperative? Well, I think it makes them feel like they have more control in their actions. If you implement a time of use rate, it would be good for them to be able to see how they use energy and how it fits into that time of use rate. And then as rate structures continue to develop and you might have real-time pricing type signals, again, that is there for the member to make decisions if they want to. Again, you're not always forcing them to, and I think that's what members want, is the ability to take action if they desire, and we can provide that information to them. And so have you had to adapt your cost of service at all to the smart grid applications? It's uh, That's kind of a challenge. Obviously, uh, it's hard. One of the things that is hard to do is put numbers on reliability type metrics. And, you know, I think a lot for us, a lot of the smart grid is in terms of um, reliability. But again, I, there are cost savings in terms of being able to focus your maintenance efforts so that you're you know, you're not, you're trimming trees where you need to trim trees. You're installing lightning protection where, where lightning strikes are happening. You know, those types of things are cost savings. Uh, another example would be, you know, with, with our smart grid platforms, we're able to better respond to outages. You know, we can take an outage that might be over a 12 mile area. And based on the event data that's recorded, we can pinpoint it to a, a quarter mile, you know, section of, of line. So if our crews drive to that spot and find the problem, you know, we've saved anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half of patrolling line. So those are, you know, in terms of cost, those are where we see you know, benefits uh, to if we didn't have smart grid. But again, the big benefactor is the members on reliability. And, and that can be a challenge to put some, some you know, direct numbers to. No, that makes complete sense. And I think the, the ways that you've listed that out have definitely been helpful because you can't always necessarily see it on paper. But like you're saying, there's the value there that isn't as easy to calculate, right? So Joe, let's talk a little bit about um, community as well. I think mm -hmm. Jeremy's talked a lot about how he's driving that member engagement and this almost intangible value back into his community. What are you seeing in terms of smart grid enablers and applications and just even from a cooperative that may not be looking at Fiverr specifically, mm -hmm. how they can drive that value back into their community? 
Yeah, I mean, and, and look, number one, if your community doesn't have uh, good broadband, start there. It, it is a huge value back to the community. And, and we've seen growth in communities that are, are doing that. But I think beyond that, um, look, you're going to most, if not all, uh, you know, of our members are going to need to also have a wireless component. Uh, a lot of that infrastructure is exactly the same of what the water, gas, public safety, even, you know, agricultural members, they desperately need. They need to have good wireless connectivity for data, for devices, for phone calls, all of those kind of things. And it's the exact same infrastructure. So once it's in place, uh, a lot of the co-ops that we're working with on those, you know, that's that's one of their first questions is, hey, how do I how do I share the cost so that it's not all on me, but also they know they're driving the the value back and for the needs of what the other organizations need. Excellent. All right. Now to wrap this all up, Jeremy, this is one of my most favorite questions to ask of any CEO. Can you give us your top three insights for electric cooperative leaders, especially talking about smart grid enablers and how you would help them to get going. And keep in mind, we might have cooperatives out there who say we're not big enough or we're not advanced enough. What insights would you be able to give them that say they can start somewhere? Yep. I think the key is you got to start. And so I think number one would be to start small, find a project. It doesn't have to be a huge project. It doesn't have to be a fiber to the home project. You know, it can be something much smaller. Um, so start small and find a champion within the organization, you know, and usually that has to be a supervisor or a senior leader. But if you can start small and get a champion, um, then you can start to demonstrate, you know, the benefits of smart grid technologies and create that buy-in. Um, and then once you get going, I think number two would be, you know, you have to be willing to integrate and automate, you know, especially you know, sometimes it's even more important in smaller co-ops because, you know, there's not as many employees and they're they're more busy maybe on a day to day basis. So you need to get that information into their hands um, and you got to commit to, you know, eliminating data silos and, and getting that information to where it can benefit the members. Um, so that would be number two. And I think number three is you have to make the projects a priority. Um, you know, you have to as an organization, as a co-op fully commit to making them successful. You know, it's very easy to put this project in your budget and then, you know, you might do a pilot project and then they might drag out for years, right? So I think, you know, once you decide, hey, we're gonna go down this road, you gotta really commit to it and get them, get the projects implemented, get them up and running because it's not until you get to that point that, you know, your employees see the benefit and ultimately your members see the benefit. So I think those would be my, my three takeaways. Excellent. Well, I truly thank you both for your time today. I think you've provided a wonderful story, Jeremy, and great insights, Joe, that hopefully our listeners will get a few takeaways from this. And as always, they can always reach out to CFC or NRTC if they have additional questions. And I look forward to hopefully touching base with you again on seeing how your future projects go. Awesome. Thanks, Christine. Thanks, Christine. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Solutions Cast. Be sure to subscribe to get the next episode and check nrucfc.coop/solutions for more electric cooperative news.